Chapter twenty eight of Carpenter's Geographical Reader Asia by Frank Carpenter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Betty B. In British Burma. Think of a nation whose women wear plugs in the lobes of their ears as thick as your finger, and whose men often have their bodies tattooed from the waist to the knees. Let these people have olive brown complexions, eyes almost straight, fat noses, and lips a little thicker than ours. Let both sexes have long black hair, which they bind up in a knot on the tops of their heads. Let the men wear turbans of bright red or yellow, and the rest of their clothing consist of a white linen or cotton jacket reaching to the waist, and a gay-colored silk or cotton skirt that falls to the feet, being bound tightly about the legs and loins, and tied in front at the waist. Let the women dress in much the same way, except that their heads have no covering. Let all go barefooted, and you have some idea of the people of Burma, among whom we find ourselves after sailing along the east coast of the Bay of Bengal and up the mighty Irrawaddy River to the city of Rangoon. Burma is more than twice the size of Great Britain and Ireland. It is three times as big as Kansas and far larger than Germany in Europe. It is a rich country, much of it being covered with a vegetation so dense that nothing but an elephant can force its way through. It is a land of great mountains, of many hills, and of low valleys cut up by rivers which feed some of the richest rice fields of the world. The chief river is the Irrawaddy, in whose mouth we now are. This rises in the Himalayas and flows in a long, winding course through gorges and hills. It then enters a broad valley and finally empties into the Bay of Bengal. The Irrawaddy has a great volume. It is loaded with silt or earth washings, and these have built up much of the country. For hours before we come in sight of land, we find the water of the Bay of Bengal discolored by them, and are told that the river has had much to do with enriching the country. Another mighty stream is the Salwin, which rises in the mountains of Tibet, north of Lhasa, and flows with many rapids down to the sea, while a third is the Mekong, which runs along the eastern side of Burma, and then, separating Siam from French Indochina, flows out through Cochin, China, into the Pacific Ocean. We have already seen the Mekong during our travels. All these rivers are more or less navigable, and the Irrawaddy forms a great water highway up which steamers can go quite as far as the distance from New Orleans to Chicago. The mountains of Burma contain rich deposits of gold, silver, and copper. They have mines of jade, and the country produces the most beautiful rubies to be found anywhere. The land is well populated. It has many thatched villages and several large cities. In the chief seaport and capital, Rangoon, where we are now, there are over a quarter of a million inhabitants, and a night's ride by train will take us up the Irrawaddy to Mandalay, which has almost 200,000. The population of the whole of Burma is more than 11 millions. This country, situated away out here on the other side of the world, belongs to Great Britain. It is a part of the East Indian Empire, which is ruled by a viceroy appointed by the king, and by lieutenant governors, one of whom has charge of each large East Indian province. Rangoon is the capital of the province of Burma, and here the lieutenant governor and his chief officials live. 
the city has fine public buildings and beautiful residences most of which are the homes of the british it has great banks wide streets and beautiful stores we call at the secretariat a large stone structure on the main street and find it swarming with clerks and other officials from whom we learn much concerning the country and people they tell us that burma was for a long time governed by kings who oppressed their subjects and tortured and killed them at will after the british took possession of the country this was done away with the laws were changed courts were established and now everyone has almost as much liberty as we have at home several railroads have been built and others are planned which will sometime enable one to go from here to china by rail we find many burmese among the clerks in the secretariat and we learn that the people are intelligent and that they have their own language and literature they are far better educated than the malays and siamese nearly every man knows how to read and write and every burmese boy is expected to go to school the native schools are often held in the buddhist monasteries and the priests are the teachers while in such schools the pupils sit on the floor and study aloud shouting the lessons they are trying to learn the teachers who are sober-faced men with shaved heads dressed in long gowns walk up and down the room with whips in their hands keeping their eyes on the pupils and the boy who stops shouting is liable to get a cut of the whip the studies are largely the precepts of the buddhist religion and many of the boys become priests after leaving school in addition to these native schools the British government has established some like those we have at home. There are now more than 6,000 schools in operation, with several hundred thousand pupils on the rolls. In them, the children have the same studies as ours, but the books are in Burmese instead of English. The boys are interested in athletics, and they play football and cricket. There are also girls' schools run by the government, although all the natives do not approve of them in the past these people did not think that women should be educated and according to their religion women were not of much account in comparison with men the burmese are buddhists we shall see temples and monasteries wherever we go and shall frequently meet bareheaded monks clad in yellow robes walking about with begging bowls in their hands the whole country is dotted with pagodas and there are monasteries everywhere according to their religion every man or boy must become a monk before his soul can be born and for this reason a boy is supposed to enter a monastery for a time before he thinks of becoming a man while he is in the monastery he lays aside his good clothes and dresses in a single sheet of rough yellow cotton he now works in the monastery and goes forth to beg he is supported by the gifts of the people and no matter how rich his family is he lives on the rice and other things which are given to him in the way of charity the boy at first acts as a servant or chila much as did kim in rudyard kipling's delightful story of that name and later on he is given more important duties while in the monastery he is taught the principles of the buddhist faith and is urged to spend his life doing good after a time he may leave the priesthood and go back to his home or he may remain and devote his life to the service of his religion these people spend a great deal of money on religion and charity they give much to the church and we shall find rest houses and drinking places for travellers all over burma 
we shall see great temples and numerous pagodas erected in honor of buddha some of which are wonderfully grand suppose we pay a visit to the golden pagoda at rangoon it stands upon the side of a temple which was erected here more than five hundred years before christ was born it is a great gilded tower rising in mighty rings from an immense stone platform and growing smaller as it goes upward until it ends at last in a golden spire which seems to almost pierce the sky it is higher than any stone structure in america except the monument at washington and the whole of it blazes in the sunlight as though it were solid gold upon its top is a golden umbrella which is studded with jewels the tower is made of brick and mortar and only its outside is plated with gold it has been regilded again and again and there is an enormous amount of the precious metal in it during the last century one of the kings of burma vowed that he would give his own weight in gold to this pagoda the vow cost him forty five thousand dollars worth of gold leaf for it took just that much it is said to equal his weight the burmese tell us that the golden pagoda is built above a casket containing eight hairs from the head of buddha himself and it is this fact that makes the place holy about the golden pagoda we see dozens of women clad in bright silk gowns and white silk jackets kneeling and praying upon the platform are offerings of rice and flowers and the air is filled with the perfume of the roses which worshippers have laid at its base men are bowing before it and as we look boys come up kneel down hold up their hands and pray under the blazing sun we can see that they believe in their religion and in our travels shall find that many of them are good boys and girls and good men and women they do the best they can with the light they have and some are now learning about christianity and coming to believe as we do End of chapter 28